Please join me for a word of prayer. God, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our will and set them on fire for love of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King this morning. We're in a sermon series entitled God in the Grind. Now, the grind refers to those seasons of life which are marked by uh, relentless pressures. Uh, when the stress is high, when everything seems like it's just a little bit harder than it needs to be. Everything takes just a little bit more work than it needs to take, the grind. I think this is an important subject because it's common. I bet at least half of us would resonate. They would feel, you would feel like your life is kind of a grind. Everything's a little bit more difficult than it needs to be. It's common, and if you're not there, then one day soon you will be. Second reason why this is an important subject is because the grind is formative. And the grind can shape us for the better, or as the name suggests, the grind can just grind us down to dust. And so for those two reasons, I think it's an important for us to think about where is God when the pressures are high, when the stress is unrelenting, when everything just seems a little bit harder than it needs to see, than it requires more work than it needs to take. Each morning we're looking at one character from the Old Testament. And so if you've ever been in the grind, then you share good company because almost every character in the Old Testament has been in the same. This Sunday, Elijah. And we're going to look at the story of Elijah under three headings. The first heading is the cause. Elijah is despondent. He is in the grind. He asks, as you heard in the reading, he asks that God would take his life from him. He is at, maybe grind is a little bit of an understatement of, uh, to describe Elijah, but he is despondent. How did he get there? Number two, we're going to look at some of the effects of being in the grind. We're going to, Elijah's a very wonderfully human character. And we're going to see that Elijah does some of the very things that we, he does some of the very things that we do when we're in the grind. And some of these things are not always hopeful. Cause, effects, and we're gonna conclude with the cure. So let's jump right in. Elijah prays, take my life. He's in the grind. Now, how did he get there? One word for Elijah of how he got into the grind, and that word is disappointment. That's how Elijah got into the grind. We're just reading one chapter of every person's story, so a little background will be helpful. If you back up to chapter 18, you have one of the all-time great victories of the Bible. Maybe you know the story. It's Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. And the challenge of Elijah's day was the challenge of idolatry. And that challenge went all the way to the top. So Ahab had married this woman named Jezebel, and Jezebel had introduced uh, idolatrous worship, worship of Baal, into uh, the nation of Israel. And in the 18th chapter, there's this great showdown. Elijah challenges, it's like a Madison Square Garden. I mean, the gloves come off. Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to a duel. They set up an altar, uh, the unburnt offering. The challenge for each God is to who can consume the offering. 
The prophets of Baal pray and they chant and Elijah mocks them, nothing happens. Then Elijah douses his altar with water and says, God, do your thing and he does. And he burns up the offering and he burns up the water and it's a great day, a great victory. Hallelujah. And the chapter 18 ends with Elijah running back to the capital city. That's the last verse of chapter 18, the last verse before the passage we read. Why is he running back to the capital city? He's running back because he's celebrating. He's just banished uh, idolatrous religion. He anticipates that there'll be great impact from his, uh, from his victory. But when he gets to the capital city, much to his dismay, his victory on one day does not translate to victory on the next day. And Jezebel is still very much in power. The prophets of Baal are still very much in power. And not only is Jezebel still there, she is not threatened. Not only she's not threatened, she threatens him. Elijah, if you're not dead by tomorrow. So put yourself in poor Elijah's shoes. He's just taken a tremendous risk. He's just exhibited tremendous faith. He's just won a tremendous victory. And his victory on one day has almost no impact on the next. And he is tired and frustrated. And he prays, God, take my life. I'm done. Because what he put in is not what he got out. And that illustrates a very important principle. And that principle is that you and I have much less control over the outcomes than we think we do. It's true. We have much less control over the outcomes. You put in this amount of work, you expect to get this amount of result. Maybe you do, but not always. Why? Because you don't control the outcomes to the degree you think you should. You parent your children this type of way and you think this type of parenting should produce this type of child. Maybe it does, but oftentimes it doesn't. Why? Because you do not control the outcomes. You, you control your health, you eat right, you, you, you don't smoke, you exercise, and maybe that results in good health, but maybe it doesn't. Why? Because you do not control the outcomes. And when the outcomes disappoint us vis-a-vis -vis the effort that we put in, the result is disappointment. And that's exactly where Elijah is. Take my life, I'm done. Psalm 73, the psalmist says, in vain I've kept my hands clean. I do all this work and nothing, 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 nothing. And I'm done. Why is Elijah where he is? Why is he despondent? Why is he in the grind? Because he is disappointed and what he has gotten out does not relate to what he has put in. Maybe you can relate. I know I can. Let's move on. I want us to see some results. I mentioned that the results of what Elijah does in the grind, we're going to find these are very human things, things that you and I do. And unfortunately, the things that Elijah does and the things that we do often don't help. They instead exacerbate the grind. They exacerbate the disappointment. Let me mention three things and explore a little, each one a little bit more. Elijah isolates himself. Number two, Elijah loses a sense of perspective. Number three, Elijah loses all momentum. Let me comment on each one. Elijah isolates himself. You see in verse three, he leaves a servant, goes out alone into the wilderness. 
Now, solitude is a good thing. It's a necessary part of life. But the isolation that Elijah enters here is different from that healthy solitude that we see from others in the New Testament, namely uh, Jesus. Uh, so isolation versus solitude. He isolates himself and he retreats into his own skull-sized kingdom. It's not a great phrase. I stumbled upon it. He, he retreats into his own skull-sized kingdom where he's alone only with his own thoughts. And what do you think the tenor of his conversation with himself is, healthy or unhealthy? What is the tenor of your conversation with yourself when you isolate yourself after disappointment, healthy or unhealthy? Unhealthy. You see exactly what Elijah says. We get a tone of his interior conversation when he says in verse 10, he writes down his prayer for us and he says, I, 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 I alone. You see that? Here I am all alone. <laughs> Here I am doing the only, only one doing it the right way. I alone am taking a stand. And this is the thanks I get. He loses, in his isolation, he loses his sense of perspective. His problems are inflated. His sense of his own importance is inflated. Did you know that 20 to 30% of all aviation fatalities occur because of a loss of perspective? 20 to 30%. Pilots flying without a horizon in the dark or clouds lose their sense of, are they going up or down, left or right? And without a sense of perspective, they fly that airplane right into the ground. 20 to 30% still. Elijah has lost his sense of perspective and he's about to fly the airplane of his life right into the ground. Take my life, I'm done. The psalmist prays in Psalm 39. The psalmist is in the grind. And the psalmist prays a wonderful prayer. He says, oh God, teach me the number of my days. Help me know the span of my life. That's such an important prayer to pray when we are in the grind because when we are in the grind, all we can see is our problem. Lord, give me a sense of perspective lest I fly the airplane of my life into the ground. Loss of perspective, loss of momentum. He was, withdraws himself physically from one remote place to another remote place. We can imagine that we're not told he's emotionally withdrawn, that active, uh, confident, Man of chapter 18 who takes on the prophets of Baal is nowhere to be found in chapter 19. He's just spent passive. His life has lost all momentum, which only allows for more time for his unhealthy thoughts. And so these are the unchecked results of disappointment, isolation, loss of perspective, loss of momentum. And this is what Elijah does. And this is what you and I do. And my concern for me, for you, is that disappointment, which happens to us all, takes a subtle but important turn away from just disappointment to discouragement. And we're not, do you, see, you hear the difference? Disappointment, something didn't happen that I wanted to happen. That happens to us all. But there's a difference between being disappointed and, and being deflated. 
being discouraged. So those are the results. Let's move on to the cure. How does Elijah, with God's grace, get himself out of his despondency? Again, you're going to love this very human, very reasonable response uh, from God to Elijah to help him get out of his despondency. First thing that God does for Elijah is he says, take a nap and get, some, get a good bite to eat. I've heard it said that the most spiritual thing a tired person can do is to take a nap. The most spiritual thing a hungry person can do is to eat. Martin, uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones wrote a book entitled Spiritual, Despre Spiritual Depression, Martin Lloyd-Jones. A great book on this subject. And in the first chapter, Jones addresses the causes of spiritual depression. And the first two causes of spiritual depression are not really that spiritual. He says, look, temperament. Some people by temperament tend to be more melancholy than others. That's neither good nor bad, but it does give a proclivity towards, towards depression. You don't need to be a theologian to make that conclusion. Second observation from uh, Jones. The second cause of spiritual depression Health, the same things that we find here. Diet, lack of sleep. There's something, there's this word that's been introduced, hangry, we know it. Hunger-inspired anger, hangry. It's a real thing, at least it is in my house. Uh, this advice from the angel gives it validates what we know about our human nature. You're not a body or a soul or a body with a soul attached or a soul with, you know, you're, a, you're an embodied soul. You're one and the other at the same time. And what you do to your body affects the soul. What you do to the soul affects the body. So the first thing that we learn from uh, this story is when we're in the grind, do not disregard your physical nature. The problem is that when we are in the grind, that's exactly what we do. In the grind, we sleep less, we eat unhealthy, we may take a, we may misuse alcohol, we may compensate with our misuse of alcohol by more caffeine. This is what we do in the grind. Does it help? No. A few years ago, I shared some thoughts about a thoughtful consumption of alcohol. And I just want to repeat some of what I shared there. For me personally, maybe this will be helpful for you. I want my enjoyment of alcohol to be, uh, to have these three qualities. I want my enjoyment of alcohol to be celebratory, not therapeutic. Celebratory, not therapeutic. Communal, not isolated. And Habit or in, what's, what, let me find my notes so I don't misspeak. Uh, <laughs> not habitual. What's the opposite of not habitual? Um, hold on. That was not a rhetorical question. Occasional. There it is. Occasional. All right. So communal, occasional, celebratory. Because I know that in the grind. I am tempted, many of you are tempted to use alcohol in solitude. 
therapeutically and habitually. Something for us to think about. The opening point is don't take liberties with your physical nature in the grind. It doesn't help. But of course, you're not only a body, you're a soul as well. So the first principle, don't neglect the physical, don't neglect the spiritual. All the sleep, all the diet in the world will not lift you out of spiritual depression. So the second of our three-pronged approach, our three-pronged cure is spiritual encounter. And that's exactly what Elijah hap happens to Elijah. He has a spiritual encounter. I just want to look very briefly at what God said to Elijah. Remember how Elijah felt he was, what? Isolated, he had lost perspective, and he was withdrawn. Look how God responds to Elijah. He addresses each of those. God tells Elijah, he corrects his perceived isolation. There are 7,000, that's the number of perfection, by the way, seven. There are 7,000 who still not bowed to Baal. You're not alone, Elijah. He corrects Elijah's self-perception, his, his own importance. You see, God tells Elijah, look, I've got someone else in line. His name's Elisha, and he's going to pick up where you left off. And you know what? The world's going to still spin, Elijah. You're not quite as essential as you think you are. He corrects his perspective. And third, Elijah's third temptation is withdraw. Just kind of gives up, passive. Notice how God says, get back to it. Get back to work. Twice in the passage, God says, Elijah, where are you? And that's not because God needs the information. <laughs> Elijah, what are you doing here? Get back into the action. I believe God still speaks. And when he does, his words come with those same mix of comfort and conviction that we find in Elijah. God speaks to us primarily in two primary ways. He speaks to us through the community of the church. He speaks to us through our relationships with other Christians. And he speaks to us through his word. Brief comment on each. How does it work? This past Sunday, this past week, I was with a group of clergy and we were all sharing about our life and ministry. And one of these clergy uh, persons said, I need to be more disciplined in my intercessory prayer for my church. And of all the words that I heard that day, some whatever hundreds of thousands of words that I heard, those words had more significant, more significance. And they stayed with me. Was that the voice of God? I don't know. But I think if God were to speak to me, it'd be something along those lines, like pray more. And I feel like my challenge is, and probably your challenge is, to give me ears to hear. I open my ears, O oh Lord. Remember how often Jesus instructed us, take heed how you listen. God is speaking. Take heed how you hear. And of all the words you're going to hear today, there's probably going to be about five that you think about 30 minutes after they've been said. Take heed. God speaks to us through the community of his church and he speaks to us through his word. You've noticed several references to the Psalms this morning. That's because every day I get up and I read the Psalms. 
a few every morning with the goal of getting through the Psalms once a month. Not so that I can get through the book, but so that the book can get through me. And I believe that if we sit down with God's word, open it, and open our lives before him, more often than not, you'll stand up having heard. God speaks. Give me ears to hear. So don't neglect the physical. Don't neglect the spiritual. Third and final. Third and final of the three-pronged cure, give it time. Give disappointment time. See, it took 40 days for Elijah off of his disappointment of when he got back in the saddle. 40 days. I was uh, sharing with John Yates, who's a mentor of mine. I was sharing him about some disappointment of someone, uh, someone left the church. And that's always hard. It happens, but it's always hard. And I shared with uh, John. And I said, gosh, you know, just disappointed. I stayed awake for two nights thinking about it. And John said, just two nights? That's not bad. <laughs> it just takes time. Two nights of sleeplessness is not unreasonable encountering your disappointments. Give it time. It took Elijah 40 days. I hope you find this helpful. Why is Elijah in the grind? Why are we in the grind? Because we do not have as much control over the outcomes. And we get disappointed. If disappointment is coupled with isolation, a loss of perspective and loss of momentum, sadly, disappointment can turn to discouragement. What is the three-pronged remedy for discouragement that we find in this passage? Don't neglect your physical nature. Eat, sleep. Don't neglect your spiritual nature. Listen, God is speaking. Finally, give it time. Let's take a brief moment. And maybe we can think of the grind that we are in. We can ask ourselves, if I let myself fall into any of these unhelpful patterns, Maybe we can allow God to speak to us, to remind us we're not alone, we're not as important as we think we are, and that gentle encouragement, get back to it. Just a moment. <laughs>